You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Guys, it is great to be with you again this morning. So happy to gather with those of you who are inside, those of you who are outside, going strong outside. And those of you on the live stream, the live stream is back up this week. Sorry about that last week. Uh, we did get the video posted. Man, this team labors so hard to pull off everything on a Sunday morning. And they are working against the clock, all right? So if we're running out of time, they got to prioritize stuff. And guess what? Somewhere along the way, the live stream, it didn't happen. But what I want to do is just affirm how many times we gather together and everything does work because of this incredible team that's laboring so hard. Can we... Be grateful for them setting up these amazing experiences and sometimes a little shorthanded. So just like Bailey was saying, man, we need your help, especially as we're moving to three service times, accommodating for some growth at each of those services, allowing for you guys to settle into your communities again. I know it's kind of cool when you go to the 830 or you go to the 1030, you know, you kind of feel like you see the same people, you get to know who gathers there. We want that same vibe again as we step into the future. But please, you know, if you could just sign up to volunteer somewhere, just once a month, once a month. That's all we're asking. We want it to be sustainable. We want you to be able to enjoy your service and participate in community. That'll make a big, big difference. And then, of course, mark your calendars for the State of the Church update because, as always, in this branches community, we're an open book, okay? There's nothing that happens behind the scenes that you guys can't be aware of. We're going to share with you exactly where we're at financially. We're going to share with you some vision for the future of what we're stepping into. Some great things are in the works. I'm not just pumping it up. I'm not Mr. Hype Man typically, uh, but I really am enthusiastic about some of the things that God is leading us into, and you're going to get a preview of all of that at the State of the Church update coming here in just a couple weeks. All right, let's open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, all right? We're continuing in this series, Spirituality, and last week we established that the pursuit of the Spirit is the pursuit of obeying Jesus in love. And as we move to obey Jesus in love, uh, we are being motivated by the Holy Spirit. Uh, You know, it's this cyclical sort of thing. You can't press into the work of the Spirit, You can't have a Christian spirituality without a love for Jesus and, by extension, his commands. So what we establish is that our spirituality, it isn't just this like ineffable, undefinable quality about us. True Christian spirituality is everything that Jesus said and did and lived. It is holiness and conforming our character to the character of God. Now, I promised you this week we'd start turning our attention to the gifts of the Spirit That is the graces that God gives his people for their mutual benefit and for the expansion of his mission in the world. And we're just going to go like full tilt. We're going to go double black diamond. We're going to meat today or beyond meat off the artificial bone, however it is that you eat your meat today in Orange County. We're going all the way. We're going to talk about the gift of tongues and the gift of prophecy, two of the most controversial gifts talked about in the scriptures. And It's because there's this really valuable teaching, I believe, that's captured here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that doesn't just deal with and define the nature of these two specific contentious spiritual gifts, but also helps us sort of define some of what our spirituality is supposed to be about on a regular basis in general. Before we get there to 1 Corinthians 14, and before I start reading, and we are going to read a sizable portion of scripture this morning, 
I want to give you guys some background. Now, we were already in some of the background last week because we were in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And what did we see there? The church at Corinth was participating in this illicit behavior. They were taking part in, you know, sexual entertainment in the city of Corinth. They were cohabitating with prostitutes. And Paul says, how could you possibly do this? You're profaning the temple of God that is your body. How could you get so far off? And it was because of a false spirituality. The church was coming together and they were practicing the gifts of the spirit. And somewhere along the way, someone stood up and said, well, God doesn't care what we do with our bodies right now because of what Jesus did on the cross or something or other. We're only hearing one half of the conversation by reading Paul's letter, but we can tell that's at least what was being taught. It's obvious they were practicing the gifts of the spirit without any spiritual grounding or spiritual discernment. And Paul doesn't mince words. He suggests in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says this. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, I do not want you to be uninformed. And what he's doing is he's implying they've been uninformed. Okay? If they're coming together and someone's saying we can sleep with prostitutes, you guys don't get how this whole thing works. Okay? So I don't want you guys to be uninformed. I'm going to inform you. Because you know that when you were pagans, before you were Christian, somehow or other... You were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Okay, somehow or other. I love this subtlety of Paul here. You know, he's, he's elbowing him here. It's like somehow or other an alcoholic woke up face down in a gutter. You know, it's clear what happened here, okay? If you're an alcoholic and you wake up face down in a gutter, it's because you've been drinking alcohol, okay? But somehow or other, guys, back in the day, you were influenced and led astray by these mute idols. Basically, your feelings were leading you into falsehood. And we need to take note of that today. Our spiritual experiences can feel very real for us. They can be real to us in our experiences, but they can be utterly false at the same time. They can be completely false. All kinds of people are feeling these spiritual experiences in false religions, in the world, uh, chasing all the idolatry that exists in our culture, and they're feeling these transcendent spiritual experiences, but it's all based on falsehood. So we can't ever doubt the capacity of the human heart and mind to seek what it desires for itself. And we've got to even challenge ourselves in that as we use spiritual discernment. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've sat with somebody for counseling and they said, well, you know, I prayed about it and God told me to, you know, fill in the blank, fulfill this self-indulgent desire. And it's like, oh, wow, how novel. I've never heard that before. That God somehow has sanctioned in a divine way something that you already wanted to do from the beginning. You know, and that's all your devotional life is, is asking God for things for you. And he just answers, yes, 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 yes. That really accords with the scriptures and what I see in the teaching of Jesus. Right. There's something amiss. We need to use spiritual discernment. And so Paul gives this simple grounding rule of thumb in chapter 12, verse three, when it comes to discernment in the practice of the gifts. He says, no one can say Jesus is accursed and be led by the Spirit." Nor can anyone say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And you're saying, oh, really? That's all it is? You just have to say this sentence and it's sanctioned by God? And, you know, it's obviously not about the sentence. You know, you can tell an atheist, hey, say Jesus is Lord. And they can say Jesus is Lord. He's talking about the motive. No one can speak in accord with Jesus except by the Holy Spirit. And no one who claims to be speaking from the Spirit of God can say something that's in discord with Jesus. This is really similar to what I shared with you guys two weeks ago in spiritual discernment. 
You know, do you have a thought or impulse that conforms to Christ and conforms to his words? Well, then you can consider that to be a thought or impulse that's coming to you by way of the spirit of God. If it doesn't, well, then that's not coming from God. That's coming from you. That's something that you want to do for yourself. Now, after establishing that baseline amount of discernment, Paul goes into chapter 12, and I'd love for you to read it, because this is what we're going to talk about next week. He goes into this survey of all the spiritual gifts and all their variety and how they work to contribute to our mutual edification as believers as we minister to one another. And so he does this whole survey about it, just like we're going to do next week. And then he finishes by saying, but guys, here's what I want. I want you to pursue the greater spiritual gifts. Okay, this is in verse 31 of chapter 12. Pursue the greater spiritual gifts in the spiritual gifts discussion. And beyond even that, he's got another layer. He says, I want you to pursue the most excellent way above even pursuing the spiritual gifts. Now, what's the most excellent way? It's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. It's one that you hear cited at every single wedding, whether or not it's a Christian wedding or not. It's all about love. It's the chapter on love. And we, you know, interpret that to be romantic love. So that's why it's just these pithy little sayings for this couple to go off and, you know, love one another. But really, that chapter is describing the sort of love that's to characterize all of us as Christians. That's the most excellent way. It describes the holy love of God. It's the character of God. It's the very thing we defined as the goal of the Spirit at work in our lives. He's working to produce this sort of love, this sort of character, this sort of holiness in all of us. And in fact, Paul says, you know, without love, there is no power of the Spirit or no gift of the Spirit that matters at all. If you're absent love, and by the way, there is going to be this day when all the powers that the Spirit endows in us and all the gifts that we have in the Spirit are going to cease. And what is going to be left? It's going to be love. It's that holy love of God. It's the character of God. And so that is the most excellent way. And this is where we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that we're going to read together, our study, where Paul integrates everything I've just been talking about and coaxes the Corinthian church as they're exercising the gifts of the Spirit, right? They've got to be pursuing the greater gifts, which Paul is going to define here over and against their practice of tongues, which had taken over the church. You're going to see that. And as they ultimately pursue this goal of the most excellent way, which is love. Again, this is going to help us define prophecy, tongues. It's going to show us all sorts of things about our life of following in the works of the Spirit. Verse 1, chapter 14. Follow the way of love, all right? This is integrating everything that I shared with you. And eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets, so that the church may be edified." Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word or instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? 
Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet not one of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving? Since they do not know what you're saying. You're giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. But even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever and an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Let's pause there this morning. That's plenty. There's lovely stuff in the rest of the chapter I would really like to get to, but we are at a loss for time. Let's just start here. I mean, what's the setting that we're dealing with? I think you can piece it together, but we've got this gathering of God's people, and it's likely not the size of everybody who's inside and outside put together. A lot of these you know, churches at this stage in the development of the church were much smaller uh, probably larger than a community group, but still, you know, the size where there's sort of this shared participation. And the Corinthian church has this one main event when all the believers get together, and it's to speak in tongues. It's to speak in tongues. Now, not all of you may be familiar what speaking in tongues is all about. Let's define it. In Acts chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, when the Spirit initially falls on the apostles, uh, there's a festival going on, the Festival of Weeks in Jerusalem, and there's all these people from all these different distant lands. And when the Spirit falls upon the apostles, they start speaking in tongues, other languages. And it actually says that those who are gathered, these people from all these different reaches of the world here for the Festival of Weeks, are hearing the praises of God in their own native languages. So that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. These guys didn't know how to speak these languages of all these native peoples, but they are, and they're praising God. And it was kind of this sign, right, that the gospel was going to go to the ends of the earth, and God was going to empower his people to preach the gospel to all people. And that is not what is being talked about here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's pretty obvious this is different. This is ecstatic speech. It's unintelligible. That's the word that Paul keeps using to characterize it. And the Corinthian gathering had just become sort of this cacophony of noise. You know, like Paul says, it's this trumpet that's not playing a melody. You've just got all these trumpets blaring at the same time. And I'm sure if you're on the inside of that, if you're on the outside of it, we know it's a little strange, but if you're on the inside of it and you're participating in this gathering, I mean, imagine everybody just in a frenzy making all this noise for God 
and you're participating in it. It's sort of like if you see waves crashing really hard in the ocean, it kicks up all this foam, right? There is all this spiritual foam in the Corinthian gathering, right? And everybody's getting caught up in it. So much so that Paul's worried that in verse 23, an inquisitive guest or unbeliever is going to be weirded out. They're going to say, this is really pretty kooky. They're going to be looking for the exit. They're like, I came here because you guys were serving donuts and coffee. And this is what I get. I'll drink the coffee, but I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid, okay? Where is the exit? I am never coming back to this group of people again. So here's the point. Does Paul outlaw this frenzied behavior because of the negative outcomes of what is possible? Does he say there's no place for this practice? No, Paul is like a pastoral Jedi master in the way that he leads people. I just think it's great how he, how he pastors these different communities who are all over the map in their personalities and their theology, and he just gently sort of guides the community, right? He says in verse 2, when you speak in a tongue, you speak to God and not to people. And in verse 4, he says, you strengthen yourself alone because it's an interaction that you are having personally with God. And yes, that's why people do it. That's why people practice the gift of speaking in tongues devotionally because they feel strengthened in God. And Paul says for that reason in verse 5, I'd like all of you to speak in tongues. Not a bad thing if you go away and you have this devotional practice and you feel strengthened in God as you participate in it. It's great. And in fact, in verse 18, he goes, I'm the poster boy for tongues, guys. I'm the number one fan of tongues. I speak in tongues more than all y'all. Okay, he's going, I'm the guy, all right? I'm your guy. I can talk to you about this practice because it's a part of my life. Like with all cultural differences, Paul is very accommodating of this practice in the church. He's saying in the right context, it's great if it grows believers. And there are Christians I respect greatly for whom this is a central core practice in their devotional life that grows them in their faith in God. And Paul is one of those people, right? I mean, at least he's saying that's who he is. Now, others of you, you hear that, and you're going to feel a little excluded. You're going to say, oh, really? Really? This nonsensical, unintelligible speech is a way of relating to God? Are you out of your mind? Pfft, whatever, man. But think about that. Pfft. What is? Pfft. What is that? Is that a word? Maybe we've kind of turned it into a word, but is it really a word? You know, my kids say unintelligible things all the time. Anytime I ask them to go clean their room, what's the response? <laughs> you know, what is that sound? It's the, it's the universal sound for something, but anytime I hear my kids make that sound, I go, man, I need an interpretation. Is there an interpreter in here for, <laughs> That's one of the most common quoted phrases in my household. Ah! Does it mean you're busy? Does it mean you're tired? Does it mean you were in the middle of something else that you wanted to do? Are you, you know, it's like, in interpret that for me. We have all kinds of phrases that we, you know, say and are common in our culture that are completely unintelligible. You're listening to a song and the chorus is like, yeah, 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 yeah. You're, what are we doing? What is that? And yes, that was an Andrew original. That's not any song you probably ever heard on the radio. But, well, take a bow. I know you want to hear the rest of it, right? It's just that over and over and over again, which we can do later if you want. But even as you guys laugh, what is that sound? You know, especially for some of you, what is that sound? The laugh that you have. I mean, it's an unintelligible noise that we're making, and it's 
pretty similar to what Paul refers to when he's talking about tongues in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Paul says, the spirit of God helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. So he's saying there's a state that some people get into where they're groaning, they're sighing, and it's unintelligible, and yet that's received by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God understands what we don't even understand in ourselves, in our own hearts. I mean, if you've ever been in a place of deep grief, I'm talking deep, deep grief, there's probably been groans and sounds, inexpressible feelings that you were having that you don't even know what they're connected to, and yet... Paul is saying the Spirit receives that. The Spirit understands it. The Spirit interprets it and knows how to pray on our behalf. So when we groan before God, it's an intimacy with God that some people enjoy on a regular basis. They put sound to the feelings and the senses that they have in their heart and in their spirit, and they direct it toward God, and they feel that intimacy that God is understanding where they are coming from. It's a communication that they're having on a very visceral and spiritual level. And and I'm confident that, you know, if this was the linchpin of spirituality, we'd hear more about it. So even as you go, okay, I'm kind of like understanding it from the outside. Don't worry. This isn't a gift for every person. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 30, do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? He's going down this whole list of spiritual gifts. And the whole point of the chapter was we don't all have the same gifts. The implied answer is no. If this was the spiritual linchpin, as some people would say, like of all spirituality, of living in the spirit, Jesus would have told you a bunch of times. John would have told you. Peter would have told you. Paul would have talked about it a lot different. But this is one aspect of valid Christian spirituality. And it's more central to some Christians, just as it was more central to the Corinthian church. But like any other good emphasis... It can devolve into an overemphasis, and that's what Paul is pastorally sort of guiding and correcting. He wants to ground the church's experience of the Spirit. In that, the emphasis for Paul is toward prophecy over and above something like tongues. Let's read it together. Verse 4, he says, The one who speaks in tongues edifies themselves, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Verse 5, The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. He says in verse 6, what good am I if I don't bring you some revelation, some knowledge, some prophecy, some instruction, but just go on making noise? And this is the clincher where you really get a sense of the pastoral priority for Paul. Verse 19, in the gathering of God's people, Paul says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, very subtle here on the part of Paul. It's like some of you when you were complimenting my haircut, you know, oh, your long hair was nice, but... I really like your new style. You know, I I get the message, all right? Paul's like, look, say a short sentence of intelligible instruction. I'd rather you do that than give me a whole essay in tongues. The point is, we know what he's saying here, right? Desire the greater gifts. It's not tongues he wants in the gathering of God's people. It's prophecy or prophecy through the prophetic interpretation of tongues. Now, why is that? He said it a couple different ways, because of the maximum benefit for all who are gathered. You're going to get the most edification through prophecy. Now, some of you are still confused because we haven't defined prophecy. And when you think of prophecy, you think of like spiritual fortune telling or future casting, because that's the way a lot of so-called prophets today will claim to use their prophetic gift. It's all about fortune telling and future casting in our culture. It's very similar to sort of the false prophecy that you saw in 2020, right when COVID hit, 
All these false prophets are saying, oh, it's going to evaporate in like a month. Well, we've got some folks who've really suffered because of COVID who would say, didn't evaporate in a month, right? But that was something that people wanted to hear. And so they gave that message and it turned out to be false. Also with the presidential inauguration, that was another one where the false prophets just went mad. They said, President Trump will be inaugurated as the next president. They went out on a limb. I'm not saying, you know, whether or not he actually won. I know some of you are still feeling strongly about that. But they were saying he's going to be inaugurated. He's going to be the president. And this is like going to the spiritual casino with pretty good odds. I mean, it's a 50-50 chance you're going to get this right. It's roulette. It's black or it's red, you know? I mean, it's going to be one or the other. And they got it wrong. False prophecy. False prophecy is a lot of times characterized by what God's people are inclined to hear, what they want to hear, but it turns out to not be correct. And you may not like me for saying that. They didn't like Jeremiah in Jeremiah's day either when he was a true prophet calling out the false prophets who were saying, oh, no harm is going to come to us. Everything is going to be peace in the land. Uh, They were wrong. And guess what? Jeremiah had to bring the message. He was the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger, but they tried to. And you might try to today, but that's just the truth. That's how a prophet speaks. A prophet has to speak the truth. I mean, when you look at the Old Testament prophets, if you want to really understand who the prophets are and what characterizes prophecy, you see that a lot of times they're not revealing something new and novel or contradictory with the past, or they're not just making random cultural predictions. A lot of times they're pointing back to something God has already revealed And they're bringing it into the present in the dynamics of the present day. It's like the book of Hosea. We looked at this prophet Hosea. We studied his teaching for near three months right before COVID hit. And what do you see in Hosea's message? Hosea says, guys, this is what God told us to do. And this is where you're erring right now. And this is how God feels about it right now. And this is what's going to happen to you if you continue down this path, just like God told you that would happen to you if you disobey him. But here's another option. You can live this way and you're going to get this outcome. But this isn't a surprise either, because guess what? God also told you if you were righteous, he would bless you and take care of you. You see, the prophets, they pointed back as much, if not more, then they were pointing forward. Their role wasn't to introduce new contradictory information. It was to contextualize into the moment God's heart and his passion and his direction for his people right here in the now. The message is, if you look at the prophets, if you read all the prophets, most frequent themes are judgment for the sinners and comfort for the righteous in times of trouble. You know, these aren't new or novel things. These are things God said from the earliest chapters of the Bible That's the way he's going to relate to his people. So it's no different from prophetic preaching today, though we don't often use that term. Prophetic preaching is taking what God has already said, contextualizing it into the moment, saying, I feel like this is the impression of the Spirit of God for us right now where we are, so let's walk in it in this direction as we step into the future, into what God's calling us for today. But it's clear that for Paul, this was the emphasis. This is what he wanted to direct the people toward. Because it would bring about what? It would bring about that which is most excellent, right? Going full circle to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you look at 14.1, you know, pursue the greater gifts and follow that most excellent way of love. Prophecy points people to the conduct that they're supposed to have 
and the character that they're supposed to have, which is in line with the character of God. That's what makes it the most edifying of all of the gifts that he's listed. Because it has everything to do, again, with cultivating our holiness. You see, for Paul, spirituality was not trying to achieve sort of just this transcendent feeling where we have sort of all these, you know, creative imaginings and, and sensations. But at the same time, it also wasn't just about this pursuit of knowledge, as if it's just about getting some insights. It was always grounded in what it was going to produce in our lives, whether through the way of knowledge or whether through the way of our experiences. Some of you today, you'll chase a transcendent feeling anywhere that it takes you, thinking that's where the spirit is located. Do you know you can get a transcendent feeling from pursuing all the idols of our culture today? You can follow false religions and you can get a transcendent spiritual-like feeling, but it's based on falsehood. You can take a cheap drug and get a transcendent feeling. A lot of people are doing it and calling it spirituality. Okay, on the other side of the coin, some of you can just, you know, pursue everything in a very cerebral way and say, oh, I'm just going to learn things about God and that's where the spirit is working. But Paul's very clear on that side too. He says, look, knowledge puffs up if it's apart from love. You know, it, it leads you to godless pride. Okay, you could have all the knowledge of all the mysteries in the world in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. The Spirit is working in all of us to be fully integrated people, mind and spirit together. That's what he describes in verses 14 to 16. He says, I want you to engage with God on both levels. I want you to be connected spiritually, but I want you to be grounded in your mind all at the same time when you're learning, when you're singing, when you're participating in community. And this is the point. The Spirit leads all of us. Take this note. (laughs) Write it in your mind. Write it somewhere in your DNA as you consider the church. The Spirit leads all of us, all different personalities, all different people, to this one united goal, to Christ through the shared encouragement, correction, and comfort. He speaks through each of us to each other. That's the one united goal that the Spirit is always working for, and all the different personalities, and all the different people that are gathered here in branches, to Christ through the shared encouragement, correction, and comfort that he's going to speak through each of us unto each other. And that's really the point of what I think Paul is trying to get across here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But as we try to apply this in our context, what does this mean for us? I want to make a couple summary statements as we close out our time. For one... We need to leave room in our spiritual imaginations for different people's different experiences of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. Paul left room for this exuberant church community in Corinth. They were exuberant, all right? (laughs) And we got to leave room for the exuberant who are among us today. What does Paul do? He includes them, right? He's saying, you guys are great. I love you guys. I'm right on the same level as you guys. You have some important things to teach the church, all right? He includes them, but he grounds them. Okay, that's the same thing some of you need. Some of you are like spiritual balloons. You'll just go and you'll float out, float off, you know, let on, let on your own, you know? You'll just, you'll just flake out spiritually, you know, if you're just led to your own devices. And you're going to get grounded, You know, that's what Paul is saying for this church right here. They're going to fly away unless they're tethered. But some of you are like ostriches. You know, you stick your head in the ground and you bury your heart. And God says, I got to get you up out of the ground. I got to get you to see the bigger picture. All of you are are God's people experiencing God in different ways. And we're all being led to this united goal of Christ-likeness 
Now, often we don't leave room for each other in our humanness. We say, well, this is the way we should all relate to God by the Holy Spirit. We say, oh, you know, you're too emotional. And we say, oh, you're not emotional enough, or you're too structured as an individual, or you're too disorganized as an individual. And so we say, let's start a new denomination. Let's start a new fellowship because these people don't understand God. Guys, the point is, we don't understand each other. We don't understand each other. The church has done an awful job through the ages of understanding one another and the diversity in the body of Christ. You know, you've got this personality over here who understands something about God that is valid and this person over here who understands something about God that is valid and they're both in Christ. And this person's saying to this person, oh, they don't understand who God is. They don't relate to God the right way. And this person's saying it back. And it's not that they don't understand God. It's that we don't understand each other. My own children don't understand each other. My daughter... She went away, uh, you know, to stay with her great-grandparents for a night, and then she came home, and she was very upset. She came up to me. She said, when I was gone, Weston didn't miss me, her brother. I said, what? You know, I knew. I was at home. I knew Weston was, like, aimless. He had no idea what to do with himself without his best buddy, his sister. I said, he's right there. I go, Weston, did you miss your sister when she was gone? He said, yeah, I missed her. I said, see, he missed you. She goes, he doesn't mean it. What am I dealing with here? I'm dealing with two people who don't understand each other. I'm dealing with someone who's more subdued, and I'm dealing with someone who's more expressive. And the expressive person is looking for the more subdued person to communicate on her level so she can understand it. Because the way that he's saying it doesn't convey to her that he actually means it. But I know the dude, all right? I know how lost he was without his sister. He means it. But he just can't be trusted in how subtle he is. And that's happening all the time in church community. We're missing each other. We're not understanding each other. Have you ever thought that maybe people simply experience God and the work of the Spirit akin to how they experience most everything in life? Have you ever thought of that? Then when you deal with people and their experience of God and how they would describe it to you and their understanding of the Holy Spirit at work in their own personal life, that they talk about it in ways that are very similar to how they just experience life. They talk about it akin to their personality. So you've got somebody who's very exuberant and very expressive, and guess what? When they talk about the work of the living presence of God in their life, they're exuberant. They're expressive. Because that's not just how they relate to God. That's how they relate to the person right in front of them. You know it when you've met them, right? And then you've got somebody else on the other side who just doesn't have all those feelings. They watch a really emotional movie and they're like, wow, that was moving. You're like, really? You mean that? Yes. <laughs> then is it any surprise that when they relate to God and their understanding of the Holy Spirit at work in their own life, they're just coming off in that same way? It's not like they all of a sudden switch into this other gear that they've never had in their whole life to relate to God in this relationship versus all the relationships that they have around them. Nor does this other person all of a sudden chill out and don't feel all these sorts of things that they're feeling all the time, right? God is relating to each of us where we are, and he's bringing us all toward Christ-likeness. God's spirit grounds the ungrounded, and he moves the unmoved. He grounds the ungrounded, and he moves the unmoved as he brings us all more into a fully integrated life in Christ, spirit and mind together. 
You know, it's no surprise if you're in a culture where they just know how to party. I mean, there are some cultures in society, when they have a birthday party, I mean, everybody in the whole block knows about it, right? And when they come together as God's people, it's a party. Is it any surprise? I love it. It's wonderful. But party with a purpose. Ground the ungrounded. You know, somebody else is seeking knowledge. Man, but God is transforming us in the renewal of our mind for something more than insight. Okay, so he grounds the ungrounded and he moves the unmoved as we all go toward a more fully integrated life in Christ. Let's not judge each other. (laughs) Let's appreciate the diversity of experiences and personalities as we all contribute something to the whole. As the Spirit speaks through each of us for each other and our mutual edification, our mutual growth in God. I want to invite up the band right now as we move into a time of worship. And I'm going to ask for the Lord to do that among us. That the Lord would ground those of you who feel ungrounded right now. You are that sort of person. You know it, that your feelings can lead you in your genuine spiritual feelings that you have. They can lead you into falsehood. And like a balloon untethered from the ground, you can just float away. And you can hear God tell you just about anything that you want to hear. And God wants to ground you. He wants to share with you the truth. He wants you to be built up, corrected, admonished, encouraged, comforted toward Christ-likeness. Others of you are the unmoved. You're all mind and no spirit. You know, it's just another insight today. That's all you were looking for. The living presence of God is in you and you're not quite sure that it feels like anything at all. God wants to move the unmoved as he brings us into Christ-likeness. Mind and spirit engaged. And he wants us to quit judging each other. He wants us to understand each other and learn from each other rather than just go to a new denomination, go to another fellowship. Let's split it up again, split it up again until we're just surrounded by all the people just like us and we stop benefiting from the body and the way the spirit wants to work through each of us to build each other up. Let's not do that. Let's be unified. Let's be unified. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, there are those in this gathering who they're led astray by mute idols, by pursuits in this world, by feelings, by lies, by drugs, to what they feel is real, but it's falsehood. It's not you. It's not going to produce your life. Nothing, no drug. No pursuit in this world can produce your character, God, can produce holiness, can bring us into alignment with your Holy Spirit, can make us love like you, Jesus, laying down your life on the cross. Nothing's a quick fix for that. Or would you ground the ungrounded? Would you tether them by your Holy Spirit to the truth? Would you correct them this day? Would they realize that they can't always just trust where their feelings are going to take them, but they need to know what is true. They need the discernment of your Holy Spirit. They need brothers and sisters who are going to correct them and bring them in. 
Lord, I pray for the unmoved, those who just are looking for new insights in your word. They think it's all about knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. We can fathom all the mysteries of the universe, but if we don't have love, if we don't have your character, God, if we aren't connected with, with you in spirit and in our minds, we got nothing. So Lord, would you move the unmoved so that we'd be more like you, Jesus? Lord, would we value each other? Would we understand each other? Would we not cast judgment on each other for the different personalities, the different people, the different gifts? You've said you've made everyone unique. If they're in you, Jesus, they have your Holy Spirit. They have something to bring to the table. They may not understand what someone else understands, but they understand something we need to understand. And we're better together, God, because you're using each of us to speak your truth to each other and to build each other up. Thank you for that. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the way you use our differences to make us stronger. Would you encourage that in this body? Would we encourage that in our lives? Really just want to leave you with this truth. Would you just continue to pray about where the Spirit is at work in your own life? How this truth is something God wants to uniquely manifest through your choices, through where you are in your standing with God. Let's worship him. Let's be moved if we're unmoved. Let's be grounded if we're ungrounded as we praise him together. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.